0: On the last episode of Well Disguised, my buddy Dave and I gave our impressions on a couple of relatively new albums. Those are Deep Purple's Whoosh and Avatar's Hunter Gatherer. And when I listened to the playback, I said something that I regretted in that episode almost immediately upon hearing it. I talked about how, for me, Metallica is kind of the outer limits when it comes to heavy music for my personal taste. That is, if something is heavier than Metallica, it tends to be too much for me and that I don't like it as much. And certainly, you can tell by the episodes I've done so far on Coverdale Page and The Cult and Aerosmith and Van Halen, my tendencies or my favorites tend to go into what is commonly called hard rock or rock and roll, that sort of thing. Anyway, but what I said about Metallica and heavy music is not exactly true. Obviously, I think Avatar, at least a lot of the times, is heavier than Metallica. Sometimes maybe it depends on the song or when it comes to Metallica in particular, which album we're talking about. But I like other heavy music, too. Marilyn Manson came to mind. I had a Marilyn Manson phase. I'm not so into Manson anymore. It was probably a relatively short-lived thing for me, maybe a year or two. Manson's music... I don't know whether it's heavier than Metallica or harder than Metallica or what the terms heavy and hard really mean in this context, but certainly Manson's music is intentionally difficult to listen to at times, intentionally discordant. I think arguably because of that, it's a harder listen than Metallica at points. And so I think that would count as something that's perhaps heavier than Metallica. But something that aggravated me even more about what I had said about Metallica being the outer limits of my music fandom was that apparently I at least temporarily at the moment forgot about typo-negative. If you know anything about typo-negative, one, you know that they are arguably at times certainly heavier than Metallica. And two, you also will understand why talking about typo-negative sometimes makes me sad. But I still like talking about Typo Negative, and I have what I think is a somewhat controversial opinion about their final album. And I want to get into all of that on this episode of Well Disguised. people lamented about what a terrible year 2016 was and of course that was before 2020 said hold my beer but one of the things when people talk about 2016 was the death of so many famous celebrities and musicians I don't know if I want to say most notably or not but the ones that at least stood out for me would be Prince and David Bowie I remember specifically thinking about my parents back in 2016 A lot of the celebrities that died that year were younger than my parents who were not quite 70 yet. But when you think about celebrities dying, especially for that next generation or even the generation that's older than that, and you think about the artists and the political figures and the musicians and the actors and everyone else that they've lost, is that really a weird feeling? And what will it be like? I'm not going to say I'm a huge movie buff. But I like movies as much as the next guy. I certainly have watched a lot of movies. I'm in my mid-40s, and a lot of the actors that I've grown up and watched their movies, especially as a, as a teenager and stuff, when you have more time to do that sort of thing, are older than me. And if I live to be a normal lifespan and they all live to a normal, average human lifespan, then the odds are that I'm going to outlive Tom Cruise, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone, Michael Douglas, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Won't it be weird to live in a world where all these artists and people that have influenced you or just made you laugh or smile or whatever over the course of your life are gone? I wonder what it's like to become an old person and all these people who played some role in enriching your life as you grew up and even in your middle-age years, are all gone. I don't know, I guess I could ask an old person or just wait a couple more decades and I'll start to figure it out. The odds would certainly seem that if I can just hold out for a few more years, I'll start to get an opportunity to figure that out for myself. Since Brian Jones tragically and somewhat controversially died, we haven't lost a member of the Rolling Stones and going on half a century at this point. It's been 40 years since we lost a member of Led Zeppelin. Black Sabbath, the original band, all the drugs, all the craziness, they're all still with us. Deep Purple lost John Lord several years back, but the most popular lineups of the band, the Mark II and the Mark III lineups, all those guys are still alive. Somehow, despite the copious drug and alcohol intake of American bands like Van Halen and Aerosmith, Guns N' Roses, even Motley Crue. Everybody's still alive. Even the post-breakup, pre-reunion Guns N' Roses where Axel was going through a ton of different musicians. I think all those guys are still alive. We lost Neil Pert, but everyone from ZZ Top is still alive. That's a you know trio comparison that otherwise wouldn't make much sense. Sure, we lost Jimi Hendrix in the 60s, but Jeff Beck is still with us, and so is Eric Clapton. The point I'm trying to make is there is a lot of loss that's coming, and probably coming relatively soon for those of us who love rock music. For me, though, so far, for most of my favorites, it's been relatively easy going. There's three deaths, three celebrity deaths that really meant something to me, that really hurt me, and that I think about more often than I would like. One was Ronnie James Dio, and I did an episode about Ronnie James Dio and why that man deserves to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just a couple, two, three episodes ago. Another was Lemmy from Motorhead. I can't believe Lemmy's dead. I mean, we we joke about Keith Richards and how Keith Richards is going to outlive everybody and that sort of thing, but Lemmy was the same way. Lemmy lived an incredibly unhealthy lifestyle. It shouldn't be a shock to anyone that Lemmy died, but I still was blown away by it. How could something, anything, kill Lemmy? If Lemmy was still alive 50 years from now, I wouldn't be surprised. That's how durable and what I thought about his ability to survive. I mean, Lemmy probably should have died 30 or 40 years before he did, and Yet here I am expressing my surprise that he didn't live in an additional 30 or 40 years. I don't know. Anyway, the third celebrity death that I was going to talk about, and most pertinent to this episode, is the bass player and frontman for the legendary band Typo Negative. I'm talking, of course, about Peter Steele. Peter Steele is now, as the Led Zeppelin song goes, 10 years gone. He died in April of 2010 at age 48. I remember first reading about it on the internet at the time and not wanting to believe it. And maybe not really believing it at all. And that's for good reason. Rumors about Steele's death had been around before. The band itself had placed a picture of a headstone with Steele's name on it and the dates 1962, his birth year, to 2005, back in 2005. Turned out it was just a reference to a new record deal, but some thought it maybe meant that something had happened to Peter. He also spent some time in jail for beating up what is described as a, quote, love rival, and then went to a psych ward because his family put him there for a little bit after he got out of jail. That stint in the psych ward caused some to believe perhaps something had happened to Pete, and there were rumors at that time that maybe once again he was dead. If you do a web search for Peter Steele death rumors, you'll see all sorts of stories and articles about it. Even a marketing website like Adweek.com had an article in 2010 about the rumors. Sadly, of course, though, the rumors were true this time. I don't mean to only talk about Peter Steele. Typo Negative featured Kenny Hickey on guitar and also frequently on lead vocals. Kenny has a prettier voice than Peter, and it enabled Typo to have that dichotomy that a lot of bands have. We talked about it on the last episode with Avatar but a lot of heavy metal bands have a growling sound and then more of a singing sound, a pure singing voice. Usually that's in the same singer, but for Type O, it was in two different singers, and really it wasn't even growling either, and that's part of the reason I think I like Type O. It's just that Peter Steele was 6'8", he was 260 pounds, and he had a tremendous natural baritone voice. Josh Silver played keyboards and Johnny Kelly played drums, succeeding Sal Abrascato, and I'm sorry, Sal, if I'm mispronouncing your name. Sal switched to guitar and vocals on a really fine typo style band after he left Typo Negative. That band's called A Pale Horse Named Death. The first record, I believe he's had two and maybe a single or two or an EP now, but that first record is mainly about his drug addiction and it's really outstanding. But Typo Negative broke up after Peter's death, because he really was Typo. I didn't know the man, of course, but his personality did dominate the band. The aforementioned drummer, Johnny Kelly, once said that he thought Peter would be normal if he could have been normal, but he wasn't. He was 6'8", and he lifted weights, and he just had a look that wouldn't allow him to be a normal guy. He described Peter as a practical joker, and that's easy to believe. Typo's second album, the cleverly named The Origin of the Feces, is a faux live record. Well, I say it's clever. The Darwin pun is clever. Probably less so as the original album cover, which was a close-up of Peter's sphincter. Now, I suppose a photograph of a man's anus for an album called the origin of the feces does sort of match up and maybe it is a certain kind of clever. Anyway, clearly the band did not have pop chart success uh, as a primary objective. Getting back to the origin of the feces though, it's a faux live album and Lord knows there's plenty of rock live albums that aren't exactly live, but typos is the only one that I know of at least where the band is being booed and heckled by their pretend audience. They're being told that they suck. Mm. Typo had a sense of humor, but it was self-deprecating, and that's a welcome change in the macho world of rock. Mm. Peter Steele was also the kind of guy who did in fact pose for Playgirl magazine and and did so somehow without knowing the fan base of the magazine was largely not female. Eventually, he discussed the unwanted attention he received from gay men with the song, I Like Girls, or I Like Goyles. It's spelled G-O-I-L-S on the album. It's obviously meant to be I Like Girls. But that song included lines like, I'm quite flattered that you think I'm cute, but I don't deal well with compacted poop. Again, a little bit of the sense of humor that Pete had. I worry here that I'm not showing him in the best light. Steele did go to jail for assault. He was bipolar, although that was not his fault. He had a bad cocaine problem. But those who know him best describe him as just a funny guy. Johnny Kelly said he was the opposite of how he was portrayed, and that the menacing frontman of Type O was the outlet for him that let him be something other than what he really was, which was just kind of the nice, friendly, funny guy. Peter Steele, in his... Vampire fangs and his menacing figure seemed well-disguised, and maybe that's why I like him. Anyway, the controversial opinion. I'm not sure that Typo Negative ever had a bad album, but I think their final record, Dead Again, was their finest. Most would probably say the commercial breakthrough that was Bloody Kisses, and it truly has some great songs, like Christian Women, about... Women Who love Jesus Literally, and Black Number One, about the hair color of choice for the women that Peter Steele was into, dyeing their hair that gothic black look. But Dead Again is the best top to bottom. There's not a bad track on it. Ever self-referential, even the title track, Dead Again, references in a way those rumors of Peter's death. And the cover image of the famously hard-to-kill Russian mystic slash monk Grigory Rasputin, who survived multiple doses of cyanide and multiple gunshot wounds before finally dying. And that's sort of what he's most famous for, I think. Rasputin was the perfect and smart choice for the Dead Again cover. And let's talk about the songs. Typo Negative has a classical edge. The songs are almost progressive and progressive metal at times, despite being in the gothic metal style. It's classical in a way. In even five-minute songs, often they have multiple movements within the tunes. The first track on the album is Dead Again, the title track. It's about another drug overdose and is smart in that way, and it's an excellent start. Tripping a Blind Man and it's Twisted Tale of a C9 a Dog's Death is actually very clever and witty. The third track on the album, The Prophet of Doom, it's intelligent, but it's actually kind of a poor choice, I think, for the first single, which it was, although, again, this is typo negative. Most of the time, the single choices, especially at this point in their career, maybe didn't really matter. September Sun is musically so layered The lyrics don't mean a lot to me, but musically it's as interesting as anything that Typo Negative ever did and is one of the highlights of the album. Halloween in Heaven, if you look on the internet, is supposed to be about Dimebag Daryl's death and how that affected Pete, but really looking at the lyrics, it's kind of hard to tell. Still, it's interesting to look at what Pete's band is of all those dead musicians who were in heaven, or the other place, I suppose. Anyway... Pete's got John Bonham on drums, John Entwistle on bass. On vocals, Pete shows Bon Scott from ACDC. On guitar, he says that Randy Rhodes is there, but when you listen to the lyrics, it appears that it's in a minor role because he also has Jimi Hendrix in the band. Now amusingly, Pete says that Elvis is still alive, which would explain his absence from all this, from Peter's dream dead people band. Hauntingly, though, Pete sings that if I'd only known how cool death is, I'd have killed myself sooner. Of course, he didn't end up killing himself, but dead again indeed, I suppose. These Three Things is the next song on the album. It's one of the best, if not the best songs on the record. It's about 15 or 16 minutes long. It's interesting because it is unabashedly anti-abortion. Still committed or recommitted or whatever to Roman Catholicism late in life, and it's most obvious in the lyrics here. She Burned Me Down comes next. It's not one of my favorites. It's actually my least favorite song on the album, but it's certainly not bad in any way. Some Stupid Tomorrow is the song that follows it, and it's better. It's short lyrically, sort of like She, She Burned Me Down, but the the song's just better. It's about forgiveness, both needing forgiveness and needing to give others forgiveness. Pete has the clever lyric, blood's thicker than water, though much harder to clean up. An Ode to Locksmith is, again, tremendous. It's the next to the last song on the album, and Peter Steele, who I've already talked about being Roman Catholic and who claimed to be more right-wing than left, basically wrote a feminist song. This is a, a feminist anthem, really. "Hell and Farewell to Britain is the final track on the album, and thus the final song that we ever got from Typo Negative. It's not about Britain at all, but it's about something that Pete had read about British fighter pilots who were shot down in war, and as they crashed to the ground would sometimes say, all hail and farewell to Britain as they knew they were going to die. It doesn't really seem to be about that, though. Um, It seems to be about a friendship that ended in betrayal. And almost all of us can empathize with a song about a friendship that ends in that way. And that's it. Ten Songs of Brilliance by a Gone, Troubled Poet. Heavier than Metallica? That's how I started this, and it's not always. It's certainly not faster than Metallica. At least most of the time, but that's not all that heaviness is, right? Typo could even swing sometimes. But that swing was dark. So much talent lost when Peter Steele left us. And too soon. I hope he tells John Entwistle to give him a turn on the bass in that Dead Man's Band that he describes. You can't find Dead Again on Spotify or other streaming services. I'm lucky enough, I guess I bought a disc when it came out, so I have it but it's worth seeking out the physical copy if you've never heard it before or at least going to YouTube where apparently you can stream almost anything. Dead Again, like most typo-negative albums, is not background music. It's not something you put on to chill out with or when you're dusting the house. Instead, you put a candle on maybe if that's your thing, but you really listen to it and consume it and absorb it and dwell in it. Hail and farewell, Pete. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Disguised. It's been kind of a hectic time in my personal life here, so I haven't had as much time to put into this episode as maybe I wanted. Hopefully it doesn't show. Anyway, the next episode of Well Disguised, if it comes off the way I want it to, is going to be completely opposite, much more upbeat uh, than this one was. If you have the time, if you're so inclined, make sure you subscribe. Give it a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or whatever they even call it at this point. Those do seem, though, to bump your podcast up in the listings, and maybe it'll make it easier for other people to find it. In any event, though, even if you don't do that, and frankly, most of you haven't, thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll see you again in two weeks.